Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This is your brother Hussein Kamani. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please donate to Qalam by visiting supportqalam.com. We love being able to share this content for free, and your donation ensures we are always able to do so. Each podcast we produce has thousands of listeners, so the opportunity for gaining immense reward by supporting our efforts is endless. You never know who will be able to benefit from your donation. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept and jazakumullah khairan. Assalamu alaikum. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillahi wa kafa. Wa salamun ala ibadihi alladhina istafa. Khususan ala sayyidi rusuli wa khatamil anbiya wa ala alihi laskiya wa ashabihi latqiya. Amma ba'd. One of the great prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned on multiple occasions in the Quran is Sayyiduna Shu'ib alayhi salam. He has a very close relationship to Ibrahim alayhi salam. The historians, they say that even though most of the prophets were born through Ishaq alayhi salam, who was a son of Ibrahim alayhi salam, and our beloved Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam was born through the lineage of his other son Sayyiduna Ismail alayhi salam, among the sons of Ibrahim alayhi salam who he had from a spouse other than Sarah and Hajar, this is an opinion by some historians, was a son by the name of Madian. Ibrahim alayhi salam had a son by the name of Madian. And this Madian had a son whose name was Yashjur. And Yashjur had a son whose name was Mikil. And this Mikil had a son whose name was Sayyiduna Shu'aib And the reason why I share this lineage is to give us a good idea of the timeline of when Shu'aib was sent to the world. This is an opinion. Some historians have said that Shu'aib arrival was much later, while others say it was a little later. But this uh, proposal that some scholars have presented that Shu'aib was the great-great-grandson of Ibrahim is highly probable for many reasons out of which some we will discuss um, today inshaAllah al-Aziz. So these historians, they say that this son Madian of Ibrahim lived with his, his um, brother Ismail. He was a brother from another mother. He lived with his brother Ismail and then later on ended up traveling north and as he traveled north, he settled in the northeastern region of Hijaz of Arabia. And this is the exact place where Shaib was sent to his people. The Prophet mentioned in the, as narrated by Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiallahu an, that there were many prophets sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, minhum arba'atum min al-Arab, out of which four prophets were Arab. Who are these four prophets? Hud alayhi salam, Salih alayhi salam, Shu'ib alayhi salam, wa nabiyyuka ya Abu Dhar, and your prophet, O Abu Dhar, referring to himself, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. We also know from the Qur'an, as it is implied, that Shu'ib alayhi salam was sent before Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam. How we know this is because in Surah Araf, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions Nuh alayhi salam, Hud alayhi salam, Salih alayhi salam, Lut alayhi salam, Shu'ib alayhi salam. 
these five prophets are mentioned. After the mention of Shaib alayhi salam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, ثُمَّ بَعَثْنَا مِنْ بَعْدِهِمْ مُوسَى And after them, we sent who? Sayyidina Musa alayhi salam. Similarly, we see, we can also um, match up the timeline. According to this, um, this passage of Surah Araf, Allah mentioned Nuh alayhi salam, Huda alayhi salam, Salih alayhi salam, Lut alayhi salam, and then Shu'ib. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when making mention of the people of Shu'ib alayhi salam, mentions that, وَمَا قَوْمُ لُوتٍ مِّنْكُمْ بِبَعِيدٍ That the people of Lut were not far from you. Now the scholars have interpreted this statement in two ways. Some scholars have said, وَمَا قَوْمُ لُوتٍ مِّنْكُمْ بِبَعِيدٍ means that these people were not far from you in time. Meaning not too long back, the people of Lut came and Allah punished them and you guys are making silly mistakes again, challenging your prophet. Are you also invoking that punishment of God? And another opinion some scholars have given is, وَمَا قَوْمُ لُوتٍ مِّنْكُمْ بِبَعِيدٍ Meaning Lut salam's people do not live far from here. You've seen that land, you've seen what's happened to those people. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes mention of the people of Shu'ib salam with two names. Either they are called the people of Madian, or they are referred to in the Qur'an as Ashabul Aika. The people of Madian, they were called this because this was the region um, they lived in. This was the area. And the Madian, if you keep in mind, if this was the son of Ibrahim salam, this region became known by the Qabila. Because since these were the children of Madian, this was the tribe of Madian, and the region became known, and this happens, that sometimes a region is known by a tribe that settles there. Otherwise, the name of that exact place, scholars have different an opinion on what, was, what it was actually called. Um, and the other name that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses to refer to these people in the Qur'an is Ashabul Aika. Ashabul Aika. And the reason why they were called Ashabul Aika, Ashab means the people of, Al Aika refers to the idol that they worshipped. These people, along the way, they also deviated from their tawheed, from their singular belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, their absolute belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when they deviated from their pure belief, they ended up worshipping a tree. And this very enormous, great tree they worshipped, they called it Al-Aika. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions them in the Qur'an as وَأَصْحَابُ الْأَيْكَةِ كَذَّبَ أَصْحَابُ الْأَيْكَةِ الْمُرْسَلِينَ Now if you look at these two names of theirs that are mentioned in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after addressing them by these names, in each place, when He connects their Prophet's name to them, He uses a different language. So this is common, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will mention a nation by what they were known by, and then will say, and this Prophet came to them. Now when we look at these two names, for example, when it comes to Madian, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِلَى مَدْيَنَا أَخَاهُمْ شُعِيبًا And to the people of Madian was sent their brother Shu'ib. When it comes to Al-Aika, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, كَذَّبَ أَصْحَابُ الْأَيْكَةِ الْمُرْسَلِينَ إِذْ قَالَ لَهُمْ شُعِيبٌ أَلَا تَتَّقُونَ Allah here does not mention brother anymore. In one place, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions he was their brother. In another place, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes no mention of Shayyib alayhi salam being their brother. Now even though it's the same body of people, naturally he is their brother. 
But the reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not mention brother when making attribution of al-aika to them is because that was their attribution of shirk. That was their, that was their identity as people who had created partners with Allah, their identity of kufr. But when it came to them being mentioned as madyan, that wasn't their identity of kufr. Rather, that was their identity as ter- in terms of their lineage. And as far as their lineage goes, without any doubt, Shaib was their brother. But when the kufr came into play, Shaib was not their brother. He was not their relative in this. He was not someone that had any association with him. The prophets of Allah are muwahidun. They are people who believe in only one God. No prophet of Allah ever committed shirk. Be it before Nubuwa or after Nubuwa, even before they became prophets, no prophet of Allah ever committed any form of shirk at all. And therefore the attribution is clear. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes these people in the Quran as merchants. These were people who had access to a lot of resources. Um, not too far away from them, they had water available. These people were almost out of the, the, the deathly desert of Arabia. They had access to the markets north of them, access to the markets east of them. These people were located in a very good sweet spot. As a result of which they traded a lot. And they had a lot of natural resources that were unique to, to their region as well. So not only were they buyers, but they were also they were sellers as well. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives people wealth, there are those who will be content with how much Allah gives them. But then there will be a group of people who are not content. And their hunger for more will lead them to violating the blessing that Allah gave them. And the human history has seen too many examples of this. Look at the diamond trade in Africa. Look at the way oil is abused in parts of the world. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives people a resource. This is a resource you can use for your benefit to your cause. Use it to sell it, use it to buy, use it for whatever you need. But unfortunately, there will always be a group of people who are so hungry and so greedy that they will not care when it comes to violating human rights. They will not care when it comes to violating the trust of people. They will not care when it comes to killing people. You know, if we need to make money through the arms industry, we will promote war. We will stage terrorism if need be. As long as our wheels are still turning and money is still flowing in. This is unfortunately the corrupt nature of the, of the insan. Shu'aib salam's people were extremely wealthy. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had blessed them with a lot of wealth. Unfortunately, rather than being content with what Allah had given them, they started exploring out of the lines. They weren't happy with $10, they wanted 20. They weren't content with $20, they wanted 40. Not with 40, they wanted 80. They just kept pushing themselves further and further and further. Now how did they make this money? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us there were two things they did. The first thing they started doing was cheating in their trades. When they would trade, they would cheat. They wouldn't pay the right price. They would overcharge. They wouldn't give the product that was promised. They would give bad quality product. They would market something on Amazon with a beautiful, nice, fancy, shamancy picture. But what shows up in the mail is... Allahu Alam what shows up in the mail. It's some kind of trash. How many people have been scammed like this? 
through um, eBay and through Amazon and through Craigslist that you thought you bought one thing, but you ended up with a whole different thing altogether. For a little money, how far people won't go. I'm sure almost everyone sitting here has a story of how they were scammed at some point. And you know the unfortunate part is, and I say this with a stone and a brick on my heart, that many of the times the people cheating you are people who with their tongue say, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. They say they believe in Allah, but when it comes to money, they won't fret when it comes to cheating. They will cheat you on the spot. There is a point in my life where unfortunately I was afraid to deal with Muslims. I was afraid to take my car to a Muslim mechanic. Afraid to take my watch to a Muslim repair shop. Afraid to invite someone to work on my house, on my roof, or my, or my drains if they were a Muslim because I wouldn't know if they were just trying to gain an extra dollar through my ignorance of their science or whether they genuinely cared. This is unfortunately the world that we live in. And these people began to cheat. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes them in the Qur'an as people who cheated when it came to kail and mizan. What were the two words? Kail and wazan. Mikyal and mizan. Some people they assume kail and wazan are the same. But there's a slight difference between the two. Kail refers to a measurement that's used to count products. And wazan refers to the measurement that's used to weigh products. So when you buy and sell, sometimes what happens is you buy and sell in weight. So what a person might say is, I'll sell rice to you, but obviously you're not going to count the grains of rice. So what I'll do is I'll sell it to you in wasn, in weight. Five kilos will be this much. Ten kilos will be this much. So this is what you call mizan, wasn. Then on the other hand, you have kail. Kail is where a person says that there's no need for me to sell it in wasn, like a watermelon. I'm not going to sell it in terms of how much it weighs. I'll, I'll sell it in terms of its quantity. So two watermelons will be this much. Three watermelons will be this much. I'm going to um, step aside from our um, discussion on Shaib for a moment of something that's coming to my mind from Kail and Wazan. One of our teachers once said to us that if you study the Quran, you find that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Man ja'a Whoever does a good deed, we will reward them ten folds. Yes or no? And one riwayah, the Prophet says from 10 folds all the way until 700. 10 all the way until 700. And some riwayah says, بِغَيْرِ hisab That Allah can give without any limitation, without any hisab at all, as much as He wants, without any, any counting. So, <clears throat> our shaykh said to us, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that He will reward you based off of kail, which is counting because one for ten, one for seven hundred, this is what we call counting. Okay? Then why will Allah have a mizan on the Day of Judgment? A scale. Allah says, وَنَا ذَعُوا الْمَوَازِينَ الْقِسْطَ لِيَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ فَلَا تُظْلَمُ نَفْسٌ شَيْئًا That on the Day of Judgment, the scale of justice will be placed and no person will be oppressed. Why is Allah in need of weighing our deeds when our deeds are rewarded in terms of numbers? Samajr, you guys understand the question? Like the proper way of, of, of judging someone or counting for someone who is given in numbers is what? If, I give, if you give me $10 for every time I bring the newspaper to you, now ultimately when you want to do my accounts, do you start weighing the number of dollar bills that I have? No, you count them. So if Allah is rewarding us based off of numbers, then why is He 
um, counting our deeds, when, why is he uh, accounting for us in scale? Our teacher asked us this question, by the way, Sheikh uh, Noshad. And he said, why is this? And as students, I remember every person was giving their own reasoning, maybe this reason, maybe that reason. Ultimately, he said to us, think about it, I'll give you the answer tomorrow. The next day when he came to class, he explained to us, he said, well, the reason is because even though Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards us in adad, in numbers, but each adad can have a unique weight based off of its ikhlas. Each unit can have its unique weight based off of its sincerity. And when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decides to scale our deeds, this is yet again another sign of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That on that day of judgment, it's as if Allah is saying that I won't look for numbers, I will look for sincerity. Bring me one la ilaha illallah fi kiffatin. Bring me one paper that has la ilaha illallah on there. And that la ilaha illallah was stated with sincerity. And it will outweigh 99 volumes of another scale. Well, you know that riwayah that says 99 volumes will be in one scale. Wala ilaha illallah fi kiffatin. And la ilaha illallah will be in one scale. And this la ilaha illallah will outweigh the other. So this is um, the mercy and kindness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now we come back here. Another thing that people of Shu'ib salam were doing, in addition to cheating in the market, and it wasn't just a matter of you know, skimming here, skimming there. They had very intricate cheating methods. For example, these people were, you know, they would charge interest. These people would um, charge heavy taxes. They would charge meaningless penalties. They would, any moment they had to just make a dollar, they were making it. And honestly, when I read the story of Shaib salam, and as the Mufassirun describe his story in great detail, I start reflecting over how similar our times are to Shaib salam. Because in our world, if there is one crime the civilized, suited man and suited lady get away with is the crime of commerce. We've created our laws, and then within that law, we've created a system in which the poor remain poor and the wealthy continue to grow. The criminals on Wall Street are no secret. Everyone knows of what happens. One of my, uh, uh, one of my good friends and colleagues he was once giving a lecture and he said the best way to rob a bank is to own one. That's why you rob a bank. You know, putting on a mask, that's too much risk. All you need to do is rob a bank and from there, there goes your stream of money. You look at the system that we have in our world today, wallahi, it's based on dhulm, the financial industry. There's so much oppression involved and the system is so crippled. And, the, and we living in the West witness it firsthand. You know, the nature of our finances and the way people buy and sell and the way they deal and the corruption that occurs. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Quran that in addition to this, the people of Shaib were also known for stealing. Right? What they would do is they would sit in the streets and they wouldn't let people pass by the roads without being paid a tax. They would sit on the roads and they would block them off and they would say, you're not pa passing by until you give us our share. You know, like people have in certain parts of the world that you're not passing from one city to another until I get my cut first. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَلَا تَقْعُدُوا بِكُلِّ صُرَاتٍ تُوْعِدُونَ وَتَصُدُّونَ عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ مَنْ آمَنَ بِهِ وَتَبْغُونَهَا عِوَجًا So this statement, has been, this statement of the Qur'an has been interpreted in two ways. One interpretation like I presented to you, they would block the roads and collect money from people. Another interpretation of this very same um, ayah, some scholars they say, is that what they would actually do was, Shu'ib had few followers. He had very few 
followers. And um, these followers, they would gather around the house of Shaib to come and sit with him and to come and learn from him. These people, not only did they not want to learn from Shaib but they started sitting on the roads that led to Shaib house to stop people going there. They wouldn't let his students come to his house. They wouldn't let the, the people who were inclined towards learning the deen come to the house. And unfortunately, this is a great form of zulm. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَنْ أَظْلَمُ مِمَّا مَنَعَ مَسَاجِدَ اللَّهِ أَنْ يُذْكَرَ فِي حَسْمُهُ وَسَعَى فِي خَرَابِهَا And who can be great, more greater in oppression than a person who stops people from the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? We are lucky, alhamdulillah, today no one stops us from going to the masjid. What a blessing from Allah. That today we can go to the masjid and we can pray and no one will, you know, no one will raise an eye at us. But there are places in the world today that Muslims crave to just go into the Masjid al-Aqsa for a moment and do one sajda there. But the locals can't go. You know, the visitors are standing outside that only if I can go into Aqsa and do one sajda there and they're being prevented that you can't go outside. Go to India and its history. When the, during the separation of, of India and Pakistan, when the riots started, you read in history there that the Hindus prevented Muslims from going into the Masajid. They stopped them. Go and study the case of the Babri Masjid and what happened there and how it was demolished and destroyed. Muslims didn't have the right to pray inside their own mosque. In front of their eyes, the domes were dropped one by one and they could do nothing about it. The Muslims that protested were killed, they were butchered. And daylight robbery, you know, just daylight destruction. Nothing is happening. 25 years have passed by and there still remains no conclusive report and no justice is served to the families of people who are killed by the mobs and by the thugs that dropped Babri Masjid. The history of India, go and read it. So these incidents have occurred through Islamic history. And we thank Allah that today, alhamdulillah, we can come and go to the masjid as we will. The only thing that stops us from coming to the masjid today is our own laziness. It's our own laziness. We are the reasons why we don't go to the masjid. There's no patrol outside, there's no blockade outside, there's no thug standing outside. And we should ask Allah to forgive us for our negligence. Because when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you a bounty and you don't maximize benefit from it, then that bounty is, it's taken away. This is a principle that we see in the Qur'an. Yes or no? This is a principle we find in history of mankind. Is that true or false? It's absolutely true. May Allah protect us and preserve us. <clears throat> the Prophet warns us of being people who cheat and deceive. When you cheat and deceive, the impact of your cheating has a grand effect. It affects society. Every time you accept bribery, I don't want you to think that you are gaining $2 extra and you're getting a little bit more wealthier. In addition to you gaining that money, which might be a short-term gain, you are chipping away at the foundation of society. Because humanity functions through trust. I have to be able to know that I can go to the store, pay this money and get this in return. This is how I can grow. This is how society can grow. But in order for me to get my right, and unfortunately, go to the Muslim world and you'll see this again. You want to get an, you want to get an appointment at the embassy to, to, for some visa issue? The only way you're getting in is through? Wasta, right? They call it wasta or they call it bakhshish. No bakhshish, this is, this is what we call rishwa. You should call it for what it is. What does rishwa mean? Bribery. You have to give bribery. 
By Allah, I was one year. I was in Araf, I just finished Arafat. I was in a haram standing in Muzdalifah the next morning. We were in Muzdalifah. This is where you spend the night right after you come out of Arafah. And we were covered in soil. We had just slept on the ground, meaning covered in dust. You know, our hair was all over the place. Ihram was messy. And at this point, people are usually dying to get out of Ihram because they're just exhausted. They're tired. They want to get out of Ihram. We were standing there. And some people from my group said, let's leave halfway through the night so we can get to Mina earlier, shower up and rest. I said, guys, did we come from America to shower up and rest or to do our Hajj properly? The Prophet ﷺ himself did not leave in the middle of the night, even though he gave that exception to the concession to certain women, the sick and the elderly. But he himself stayed until Fajr Salah. So we're going to stay till Fajr. We stayed till Fajr. Now leaving Muzdalifah became very difficult because the crowds were so great. I said to the people, we don't need to push or shove, we'll just wait. Let the crowd go, then we'll go. We're not in a hurry. We came from America for Hajj, let's do it right. When the sun started coming up, when the sun crosses the mountains in Mecca, that's when the whole land becomes a furnace. It becomes like an oven. It starts getting very hot. And we ran out of water in Muzdalifah that year, in the morning. Because everyone did wudu for Fajr Salah, they drank during the night, we ran out of water. So the Hajjaj said, Mufti Kamani, please figure out a way for us to get out of Muzdalifah. I said, okay, wait two minutes, let me go. I walked across until I came to the main street, main road. When I got there, there was a bus that was absolutely empty. And it had no marking on it. Usually if the bus has a marking, that means it's allocated to pick up people from that cab. This bus had no marking. So I said to this brother, brother, we're a group of hajis from America. They're over there. We have some elderly. We have some women as well. If you can give us a ride to Mina, we would appreciate it. It's a government bus. These people are paid by the government. So I would appreciate it. He said, what's your price? So I said, price? You're paid by, this is a government service. This is a free service that everyone has equal right to. So I'm asking for the service. He said, name your price. You'll get it. Otherwise, be gone. Now, when I came back, the brothers in our group, they asked me, Sheikh, what happened? So I said, well, I saw the bus. He said to name his price. And I walked away. They said, let's pay it. So I said, are we going to give rishwa? give bribery while standing in a haram after coming out of Arafah 12 hours ago? 12 hours ago we were saying to Allah, Allahumma fillana dhurubana, wa israfana fi amrina, wa thabit aqdamana, wa ansurna al qawmil kafirin. We made this dua 12 hours ago, and now you're telling me, as I'm standing in Muzdalifah, still in my haram, that you want me to give rishwa? Wala hawla wala quwata illa billah. This is the unfortunate state of the ummah today. The barakah left us the day we left honesty. Allah's mercy left us the day we left honesty. You go to these Muslim lands, and I'm not blaming or shaming anyone. I'm just making a general observation. Go from the east all the way to the west, the north to the south, and you'll find these people, they cheat so much. There's no honesty. I went to Pakistan once, and I, I said to the brother, one brother there, and this is not an issue about Pakistan. I don't want anyone to make it, oh, Pakistan's a bad country. This happens to the world. I had to rush to the, to the airport. I said to the guy, can you please give me a bottle of itar? Give me the best one you have. Because I'm in a hurry. I want to give it as a gift. I, thought, I bought it to give it as a gift to my father. So I said, I'm going to buy this itar. I'll give it to my father. And the reason why I went to the store was because outside the store, there were these ma massive signs that said, MashaAllah. It said, MashaAllah, Tabarakallah. So I said, this guy must be MashaAllah. Let me go inside. I went inside, I said to this guy, I'm in a very, I'm in a big hurry, I need a bottle of itar and I have to go. He said, don't worry, I got you. He went inside, gave me a bottle of itar, and I kid you not, it smelled good. By the time I got to the airport, I said, you know what, I'm going to give some to my dad, he won't notice, let me just put a little on myself. 
I opened up the bottle to put a little on, and it was spoiled oil. The oil was, what did I say? You can see that the liquids had separated. On one side was whatever liquid it was, on the other side there was this nasty oil. And it smelled so bad that I had to throw the bottle away. And this is a small example. This is not even an example, unfortunately, worth mentioning because there are aggressions way beyond this. There's dhulm that's way beyond this. And when people see that their thuggish attitude works, they do it more. Go to Syria and listen to stories from people who are leaving this land, this war-torn land. Go to you know, Burma and speak to the Rohingya Muslims and they tell you about the, the thuggish people, the, the, the thugs that are standing there with their bribery, preventing them to, from just living a life. The Prophet ﷺ warned us of this, in particular when it comes to trade. In one riwayah, the Prophet ﷺ said, At-tujaru yuhsharuna yawmal qiyamati fujjaran The businessmen will be resurrected as transgressors on the Day of Judgment, as Fajr. And you're thinking, wow, what kind of statement is that? I don't want to do tijara anymore. If I'm going to be resurrected with Harun and Fir'aun, you know, uh, not Harun, sorry, Haman, Qarun, Fir'aun, if I'm going to be resurrected with these people, I don't want to be a, I don't want to be a businessman. But the Prophet ﷺ then said, Illa manittaqa wa barra wa sadaqa Except for the one who is conscious of Allah in their trade. They don't mix the numbers up. They don't cheat. Wabarra, they do good deeds. Ay, they give sadaqa as well, they give charity. And wasadaqa, they speak the truth. The Prophet ﷺ speaking one day to the businessmen, he said, Ya ma'ashra tujjar, oh businessmen, at the, end, at the end of every day give some sadaqa. The Prophet said, oh businessmen, at the end of every day give some sadaqa. Because it'll serve as a kafara for any shortcomings you had during the day. Any false oaths you may have taken. Because you know, wallah, wallah, people, they say this sort of stuff. Anything that you may have done mistakenly, raising your voice, being too harsh, being too rough, that sadaqah will purify you. Now, on the other hand, when it comes to trustworthy businessmen, those who pull through. And the reason why the Prophet ﷺ in that earlier riwayah said, At-tujaru yuhsharuna yawmul qiyamati fujjaran. The reason why he said that is because most businessmen fall when it comes to this. This is where most of them fall. The, so aghlabiyah, as far as majority goes, the Prophet is pointing this out. How, how often does it happen that there is a way to make a little bit more money in the business and your heart starts inclining? You know, fatwa shopping. You start going to one mufti to another mufti. There has to be some mufti out there who says this is jais, so I can make a little bit more, make a little bit more money. Your heart inclines it. But when you stay away and you come to this realization that it's not about how much money I make, it's about the quality of the money. You know, if I make one dollar but it's through honesty, there will be barak on that one dollar. You make a million dollars through dishonesty, there will be no barakah in that million dollars. May Allah protect us and preserve us. You know, that desire to cheat when it comes to saving money is real. How often does it happen that you had an accident their insurance guy calls you, you know that if you say the truth, you're not going to get anything out of this. But if you spin a lie, or maybe even a white lie, you might get some money out of this right here. There's that desire that maybe I can just deceive, maybe I can just cheat a little bit. Because money is involved here. The heart begins to jump, that I can you know, just cheat someone, make, a, make an extra dollar. I can just you know, turn the, the meter a little bit more, and they won't notice and I'll get $5 extra, I'll get $10 extra. 
The Prophet because most people do this, that's why he said it. As for the one who doesn't give in to this temptation, and realizes a little bit money with honesty will give barakah, for that person the Prophet said, At-Tajir, As-Saduq, Al-Ameen. A business person with two characteristics. What are they? Saduq means truthful. That person is truthful. They don't lie. So if someone asks you, how much did you buy this house for when you're selling the house? You have the right to say, I don't want to tell you. You have that right. But if they ask you how much you bought it for, and you bought it for 100000 but you say, I bought it for 150000 you actively just, you just lied right now. You're no longer a beneficiary of this statement of the Prophet As-Saduq Al-Ameen, trustworthy. You don't cheat people in front of them, you don't cheat them behind them. Sometimes what happens is, the banker will act like in front of you, they're your best friend. Sometimes the cab driver will act like in front of you, he's your best friend. Sometimes the mechanic in front of you, he'll act like he is your best friend. But behind that smile, what is he thinking? Oh gosh, I'm gonna rob this guy so bad. This guy has absolutely no idea how this fool is an idiot. He's not just a fool, he is also an idiot. I'm gonna make so much money off this person. Because they know the person they're dealing with doesn't know any better, they can easily rob them and they can rip them off. That, at that point, you're no longer, I mean.